This afternoon we confess together from the Heidelberg Catechism uh, Answer 84. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? In this way, that according to the command of Christ, it is proclaimed and openly witnessed to believers, one and all, that as often as they accept with true faith the promise of the Gospel, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits, and on the contrary, to all unbelievers and hypocrites, that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them so long as they are not converted. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge men both in this life and that which is to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider what the preaching of the word is from your word itself, we pray that you would uh, give us clear minds and hearts, help us to discern truth in the preaching of your word, especially the truth of our sin as we hear the law proclaimed and the truth of the gospel um, in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. Once again, we hear God's word from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. Brothers and sisters, indeed, this is the holy word of God. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the very end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends, I think it goes without saying that there 
is a lot of confusion about what constitutes biblical preaching today. And so it behooves us as a church to reconsider what does the Word of God itself say preaching is. And so we are in the midst of a series entitled, What is the Reformed Faith? We've covered different topics, uh, the last one being predestination in this afternoon. We consider a biblical view of preaching, with, uh, in particular, of course, how the Reformed churches understand what biblical preaching is. So let's just begin with a simple definition of, of preaching. Preaching is a proclamation of the Word of God by an authorized person which centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a proclamation of the Word of God by an authorized person which centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And almost the same thing is said by Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, we, that is the apostles, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So it is clear here that Paul is saying, preaching is this, this declaration by ambassadors sent by God, and the declaration has all to do with uh, a proclamation of Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. How are you reconciled to God? Through Jesus Christ alone. So preaching must be about Christ, and it must come from an authorized person. So that is the center of our sermon. We'll, we'll unwrap that definition a bit. We'll do it in three parts. Uh, first, we'll understand how preaching must be authoritative. Uh, second, we'll understand how preaching must be about Jesus Christ. And third, we'll understand how preaching is actually what is called a means of grace. So we begin with the fact that preaching and teaching must be done by one who has authority to do so. And we contrast the fact that many today are self-proclaimed preachers and or teachers who are not properly authorized. And so you've noticed these people on TV, um, on the radio, sometimes in pulpits. Uh, They write books and lead ministries. Now to be sure, many of these folks are very good communicators. And some of them them actually know the Bible uh, really well, and some of them are actually fairly accurate when it comes to uh, proper theology. And there's one very popular woman who's written books, has spoken widely, and written many Bible studies, and is a very good communicator. But when you look at her background, she has no formal theological education, She's not under the authority of any church. In fact, she founded her own ministry. And she does not teach the Bible accurately all the time. Yet, you'll notice, if you know this person, she is wildly popular. So if that's the question, why? And the reason is because she tailors the Word of God very specifically to what she has discerned or people's needs. She understands human psychology and human needs very well, and she applies the Word of God in such a way to give them what they want. But she does this without the constraints the Bible demands of someone speaking the Word of God. And again, the Bible demands, as we're arguing, that every time the Bible is preached or taught, Christ is proclaimed within the proper context of the Bible. So 
So it's no surprise that while you hear some accurate things from this person, there's not a consistent proclamation of the law, that is, how God commands certain things and demands things, and the gospel, all about Jesus Christ. Even if there's a consistent accuracy, a person must be properly authorized. There's not room for founding a ministry on one's own. We take time to mention this because this is just rife in our culture today. Everybody uh, claims to be a Bible expert. Now also, a person such as this has reception from our culture because people like to read and study their Bibles on their own and go to hear others when they feel like it or think it's a good idea. While we think Bible reading is a good idea, it does not and cannot replace the authoritative declaration of God's Word in Sunday worship. So no, our argument is uh, we must uh, hear those who are properly called and authorized to preach and teach. And this is clearly based on the fact that God's word itself is authoritative and there are explicit passages that say this. So first, God's word is authoritative. What do we mean by that? We go to the front of the Bible and the first thing that happens is God creates by what? We say divine fiat, which means that by divine decree, God created. God simply spoke and things came into existence. And in that very word, the word of God becomes, is written down later on. Then, of course, you go to uh, the rest of the Old Testament, you see that when God speaks, people listen. They have to. So when the patriarchs are listening to God, they listen because his word is authoritative. Um, the same with the patriarchs and Moses. There's no mistake that when God spoke, there, there was the word of God, and it was an authoritative proclamation. Passages such as Isaiah 55 are very instructive. God basically argues that his word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose. Ezekiel 37, a fascinating passage in which the prophet Ezekiel (coughs) is given the authority to preach to dry bones. Ezekiel 37, he goes to this valley, he preaches to dead dry bones, and they come to life. Not because he issues them to life, he reconstructs these bodies, but it's the powerful word of God that does this very thing. (coughs) Therefore, God spoke authoritatively through his prophets in the Old Testament. That is very clear. And here's an example from the negative. That is, when someone preaches who is not called, we can understand this process. Jeremiah 14.14 And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. Nor did I command them or speak to them, rather. They are prophesying to a lying vision, worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. And so that is a warning to false prophets today. (coughs) Excuse me. God must call somebody to preach his word. They must be authorized. They must be called to do what they do. And then finally, in the New Testament, there are many passages where the apostles and ministers spoke the word of God to churches as authorized, called men. A simple example is Romans chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says he was called as an apostle. And then, of course, we have many uh, passages that state Uh, that only authorized men may preach and teach. These are explicit passages. 
Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and John 20 are passages in which Jesus teaches about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He says to the church, whatever you bind on the earth would be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, if you bind, you're keeping somebody out of the kingdom of heaven. If you loose, you're letting them into the kingdom of heaven. And the context here, the greater context is preaching and sacraments. This is how the Heidelberg interprets this as well. People are known to have salvation or saved when the church acts in an authoritative way, both by preaching and also administering the sacraments rightly. So you can notice in these passages that Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ, has authority in all of, all, all of the earth. You see this in Matthew chapter 28. And he gives this authority to the church itself to open and close the doors of heaven, as it were. Also, you go to the pastoral letters. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And these are written to pastors who teach and preach God's word. They're not written to just anybody. Everybody in the church can benefit from hearing these letters, from reading them. But the uh, substance is directed to pastors and teachers. So many times, brothers and sisters, there's just a simple problem when it comes to the wrong view of preaching, uh, of misinterpreting the scriptures. <coughs> so a great example of this is Second Corinthians chapter 2, <coughs> where uh, Paul is saying that the apostles um, preach and they have a certain fragrance, as it were, aroma of Christ to God among some who are being saved, and a fragrance of death to others who deny the gospel. And people will say, well, see, that, that is our lives. As we live in such a way, or as if we ourselves preach God's word, this is the effect it has on others. That's not what it says. Clearly, Paul is saying we, as in the apostles, have this ministry, not just anybody. And then finally, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for the purpose of their perfecting the saints, doing the ministry, and edifying the body of Christ. So God appointed these rightly called people through the risen Christ, not just anyone who loves the Bible. And clearly these officers were given to edifying the body of Christ, perfecting the saints, building it up. They are authorized to do so, Paul says. Now, of course, what comes with uh, proper calling is accountability. If somebody is a self-proclaimed uh, preacher or teacher or, or who, whatever, uh, they don't necessarily have accountability. And again, I'm laboring this point because we're exposed to a lot of, frankly, nonsense today that is taught and it can be apparent that it is nonsense, but nobody does anything about it because it's not, uh, there's no accountability. But in authorized preaching, if the preacher makes mistakes or if he just says something that's completely wrong because he wants to, there's accountability. Elders in the church will talk to that man and discipline that man if he doesn't change his tune, his word, literally. So that's why we, there must be accountability in the proper context of calling for preachers. 
So that is our first point. Clearly, the Word of God itself is a powerful thing. It has its own authority. And it has to be handled with authority by those men who know what they're talking about, who've been trained in the original languages, who have proper theological training and so on, and have been tested and tried and uh, seen as worthy to preach God's Word. Nobody is really worthy in and of themselves. Nobody knows as much as they should. Nobody's godly enough to preach. God uses weak vessels to get his word out to his people. But that is why accountability is so important. The second point is that uh, preaching and teaching must center on Jesus Christ. So notice the, the context of Romans chapter 10. Paul's explaining why the Jews as a nation have failed to attain salvation while the Gentiles has, have succeeded. He says the Jews basically pursued righteousness by works and not faith. That is, they misunderstood God's word, especially the law of Moses. They used it as a means by which to win favor with God. But the law may only be understood, Paul says in verse 10.4, as it is summed up in Christ Jesus. Israel shall have heard Christ in the law. <coughs> Excuse me. Indeed, as Paul says in verses 6 and following, Israel didn't need to go far to find the law of God and how it spoke of God's grace. As Paul develops this argument, he says it is the same with Christ. You don't need to bring Christ down from heaven or up from the dead, in a matter of speaking, but he is, chose in the, he is close rather in the preaching of his word. This is what Paul establishes in this passage. You hear Christ in the proper preaching of the word of God. That is a context. You hear Christ in the proper preaching of the word. So again, notice Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. As Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is called the uh, chain of salvation. Now notice that the progression here. There's a need to call on the name of the Lord and believe in him to be saved. can't be saved unless you uh, call on the name of the Lord and believe. But they can only believe, Paul says, in Christ if they hear. And here's where there's a really important portion of this passage that needs to be correctly interpreted. Paul says, How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? That can be taken in different ways. Paul doesn't mean here, people need to hear someone telling them about the person of Christ. You need to hear about the person of Christ, but that's not what he says here. He means that people believe in Christ as they hear Christ himself speaking through the preaching of the word. That is what he he means when he says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? He means hearing Christ himself and the preaching of his word. And you derive that from the Greek grammar of the sentence. That's the only way you can understand this. So it is of whom they have never heard in the sense of hearing Christ himself speaking in the preaching of God's word. 
And then, of course, this is confirmed in verse 17, where Paul says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from what? The words of men? No, it is the word of Christ. And then next, people can't hear Christ speaking in the word unless someone preaches and the preacher is sent. Again, this proves the authoritative nature of preaching and how someone needs to be called. They are sent. They don't send themselves. They're sent by an authoritative body. We're arguing then that this preached authoritative word will result in salvation and growth. This really occurs as the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the word and that preaching is received through faith and that's why we call it a means of grace. So if you've been in a Reformed church for a while or if you've uh, been around Reformed folk, you hear them talking about the means of grace. And the means of grace are two. It's the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. Those are the two means of grace. When we say means of grace, this means that God works by His Spirit through the preaching of the word to create faith and confirms faith through the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And this is basically a paraphrase of the Heidelberg question and answer 65. So we say that grace is actually conferred through the word and sacraments as the spirit works and that word or sacraments are received by faith. Now, what are the biblical grounds for saying such a thing? And if it's true, you can see how important the preaching of the word of God is. Well, again, Romans 10.14, faith is created through preaching, which is the word of Christ. Christ is actually present in the proper preaching of the word. That's why the preacher can, um, with authority, proclaim to you that you're sinful when a passage of scripture is read and interpreted and say to you authoritatively that you are saved by grace through faith alone. It's not just the preaching, it is the absolution. These are all the different uses of the word of God in the service. Another passage is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, the word of God here is uh, lively. It has uh, a life of, of its own as the spirit of God works and it is received by faith. And again, we say that this, this word does not pierce this way and change us unless it is authoritatively preached. As we mentioned, Bible reading is a good thing. Studying your Bible is a good thing. But sometimes we forget that the modern editions of the Bible are relatively new. That for hundreds and hundreds of years, people had to go to a church in order to hear the preaching of the word by which they grew in their faith or heard the word of God and came to faith for the first time. The preaching of the word is a means of grace as you understand that the Holy Spirit works to regenerate people or cause them to be born again through the preaching of the word. So notice that in uh, John chapter 3, Jesus argues that somebody is born again, born literally from above, is regenerate as the Holy Spirit works. Then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and following, the work of the Holy Spirit is connected with the preaching of the word. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 23 and 25 say, Since you have been uh, born, again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is 
is like grass, and all glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, in that same context, I notice that uh, there's an earlier discussion at the beginning of the chapter of regeneration here. Uh, Peter talks about regeneration again by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's connected with the preaching of the Word. So one becomes regenerate, uh, alive as it were, um, as the Word of God is preached faithfully and the Spirit of God works. If that is true, it's a means of grace. So again, means of grace refers to the objective channels that God has ordained and as those are used rightly, ordinarily, the Spirit of God works and creates or confirms faith or increases faith. Then finally, in that same context, Peter reflects on how the Old Testament prophets spoke the word of Christ as a means of grace. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, it is not our purpose to be mean or vindictive or narrow or whatever you want to call it when we call into question of self-proclaimed authorities on the Bible. Rather, it is to be true to God's word that, that warns false teachers and others uh, that they are going against God by doing what they're doing. And what's fascinating to understand in both the Old and New Testaments is there's teaching in the Bible that talks about the psychology of the false teacher or the false prophet. They think they're right. And people recognize that some of the things they say are true. But that is the danger Nobody recognizes that they are indeed false. And that what they are saying in part is false. The problem is always this truth mixed with uh, falsity. But the church needs to always asks, uh, ask itself, are we being true to God's word? Is our pastor preaching the word of God? It doesn't matter if it's a true church. They always need to be on their guard to ask what he is saying is the word of God. So that is our first point. It is, it is critical to how the authoritative, uh, authoritative preaching of God. Secondly, that preaching needs to be about Christ and Him crucified. Every single sermon needs to be in some way, respect, or manner about Christ and salvation and comfort found in Him. Each sermon will be different, of course, and sound different, but essentially it's a preaching about Christ. And then finally, the Word of God clearly is a means of grace. And that's why we value it so highly is that you are changed by the listening, the hearing of God's word as the Spirit of God works in your heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.